0: You are listening to The Robert Scott Bell Show.
1: Is there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news.
0: I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar.
1: I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner.
0: The doctor is in. Hold on, Dr. Batar. I got to get a drink at the cantina. <laughs> yes, Dr. Batar, may the fourth be with you, my friend. Welcome to Advanced Medicine. Still there? Robert,
1: what is this, like a, this is like a comedy act, man, you guys got going on?
0: But <laughs> well, it's the fourth of, it's May 4th. Come on, man. May the 4th be with you. It's Star Wars Day.
1: I, I, I got it. I got it. I'm just, I'm just wondering, is this like a comedy act we got going on? or Are we like supposed to be serious about medicine and health and wellness?
0: You know, it's, it's sometimes it's hard to be serious about medicine when the medicine, the people that are promoting it are just, they're on some form of pharmaceutical crack. You, you, the stories we got to cover today are outrageous and I, Probably you haven't had time to open any of them, but that's no, why we're starting. not, I have.
1: Way. I was actually ahead of schedule, and I actually did look at them, and And that one um, about the legislative uh, issue in California with the vaccines where the Ph.D. immunologist uh, basically dissected everything. God knows whether anybody's going to listen to that argument, but it's, it was done very well.
0: Yeah, I mean, you think about Here's an insider, a Harvard-trained immunologist, and it's like, we've talked about being attacked or then the attackers of the pseudo-skeptics and what they do if anybody steps outside the pharmaceutical box or vaccine box. But this is one of their own. You know, and there, and last hour we talked about, uh, three major instances of journal editors, New England Journal of Medicine, the British Medical Journal, basically saying how peer review is, is just, it, it's, it's not what you think it is. And I'm thinking uh, that's they're, garbage. Yeah, that's what they're saying. So it's like the, the rats are abandoning the ship. Yeah, let
1: me let me explain something here peer-reviewed work. So there was a one of the doctors whose son I treated, and he actually is a um, liver pancreatic surgeon, Oxford trained, uh, Dr. Robin Bernhoff. He's in Ojai, California, and he's one of the first doctors that went through my training program. Dr. Bernhoff and I wrote a paper together, and in that paper, it was actually – uh, a paper that people can download, it was published eventually in Council Newsletter, but it was a paper that was a specific, uh, in, we wrote the paper in specific response to the uh, JAMA request for papers. It was the JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association, and it was a call for papers for childhood diseases that were considered to be non-curable, and there was a call for papers regarding those types of pathologies, and what people may have found to be beneficial, etc., and what doctors may have found to be beneficial. So it was basically uh saying, hey, if you've got an idea on a paper that you can write about, you know, something that's non-curable, write it, write about it and uh, we'll publish it. So we wrote this paper. It was a paper that had 187 references. And it was the title of it was The Oxidative Stress in the Autistic Patient Population. And Basically, after Robin went over, to, after Dr. Bernhoff, uh, you know, he finished writing it. I, uh, he and I have, you know, basically written the whole thing together. He came back and looked at my version. He said, Ross, you can't publish this. They won't publish it. I said, what do you mean? He goes, we, we've mentioned Mercury too many times. So he went back and he took out Mercury in um, every place he could, he could possibly. And we only had it on the last page, I think on the 14th page. But you got to remember, 187 references. Very well written. And all about oxidative stress. We didn't talk about mercury or metals or this or that or the, you know, how bad the pharmaceutical industry was. And, you know, we, he really t- toned me down. I mean, you would have been pretty impressed how toned down I was in the paper.
0: Okay. <laughs> yes. So
1: here we are. We've got this paper done. It's a Sunday night. The deadline is, you know, coming up within, within the next day or so. We submitted on Sunday night. Dr. Bernhardt submitted it from his email and they had, JAMA has their peer reviewed process very clearly delineated how they go through the peer review process, okay? It's three independent doctors, they read the paper, then they make the editorial comments and then they decide whether or not they think that it meets the criteria for publication. We submit it at Sunday night around midnight Pacific Coast time. So that's 3 o'clock East Coast time. At 8 o'clock in the morning, I have an email from Dr. Bernhoff saying, Rosh, we have gotten a response. Our paper did not make the peer reviewed, uh, did not go through the peer review process. was not approved. And I thought it was a joke. It was at 8 o'clock in the morning on Monday morning. And I talked to him on the phone and he's laughing. He says, what a joke. And I said, like, how is that possible? You tell me that from the time you submitted the paper, three doctors have read the entire 14 page or 18 page paper with the references and then made the editorial comments and sent them back. And now they've come back and said that it didn't meet peer reviewed criteria. He said, well, that's what they would like us to believe. But basically what happens is the papers go through a uh, scanner. uh, They basically check for certain keywords. And the fact that ours had autism and mercury, the same one, immediately eliminated us from meeting the peer-reviewed criteria for publication. And that's how the process works.
0: Wow. That's That's like the gatekeepers of information, the Ministry of Information of George Orwell's 1984 Operating in what we call modern-day medical peer review, and again, these are the things that we've revealed today on the air. Before we, even, before Dr. Bittar even got here, he's only strengthening that perspective from those experiences. And, and you think about that: if you had eliminated the word mercury or eliminated the word autism, of course, would would the paper have been about the same thing? Uh, maybe you could massage it one way or another. But the thing is that you talked about oxidative stress alone says a lot, because indirectly, then they'd have to start extrapolating and say, okay, what causes oxidative stress? Then the follow-on paper would be, oh, my gosh, mercury. (laughs) Oh, my gosh, what's in a vaccine?
1: You hit the nail right on the head. This is when they talk about the rare mitochondrial dysfunction. Guess what? You put mercury in the physiology, everybody seems to have that rare mitochondrial dysfunction. I mean, this is (laughs) the most absurd thing to call it, the rare mitochondrial uh, issues that they have with uh, certain patient populations that seems to predominantly have autism and so those are the ones that they actually ended up having uh, reimbursed from the uh from the vaccine injury um initiative, whatever it is.
0: Program. Um, yeah.
1: What, yeah, it was exactly the vaccine injury program. But they remember they don't say that it's autism. They always put down something like the mitochondrial dysfunction. It it's so absurd, Robert. It's exactly what you just said. They look for the key word, mercury autism together, boom, it's eliminated. If we just had oxidative stress and autism, maybe they wouldn't have
0: yeah. Well, you know, what we're what we're revealing here, of course, and it's not just us. It's not just Dr. Batar. As we said earlier, the the, the uh, editor in chief of the New England Journal of Medicine, Dr. Marsha Angel, did many years ago. And uh, we had the uh, uh, editor of the British Medical Journal for over 10 years has now just come out and said it's complete. It's a complete sham. This whole peer review yeah. process. Uh, so what are we left with? Again, uh, we were just, uh, kind of, um singing our songs for the, the, the pseudo skeptics on who are they are going to have to attack next because they're having to attack and eat their own.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is one of the things too that we've seen, Robert, where that story we covered a couple of years ago with the anesthesiologist that I guess got some jail time mm-hmm. after having published 12, 15 papers and then there's another 100 papers they used to reference his papers. Uh, and they, I guess, they must have thrown him underneath the bus and kind of like eaten their own type of thing. But again, this huh. is a guy that completely fabricated data and made up uh, all this research that got published as peer-reviewed. This uh, is the peer-review process, but all fabricated data.
0: Now, has there been a major medical journal that has published a paper on what I would call? iatrogenic autism? Has there been any acknowledgement of doctor-caused autism?
1: I don't think anybody um, would ever publish such a paper, at least not in the medical realm. However, remember, there's a difference between medical literature and scientific literature. And there's ample scientific literature that talks about how destructive mercury is. mostly industrial-type uh, research journals and scientific journals, not to be confused with medical journals.
0: Right, right. Yeah, this one I just found is off of Medical Hypothesis, I think. Uh, I just did a, a real quick PubMed search just because I was curious. of I'd never seen one. And there's one that says, and in an abstract, autism as we know it is caused iatrogenically and occurs reportedly 1 in 88 live births. Now National Survey pegs autism prevalence 1 in 50 school-aged children, and the incidence is rising uh, much faster in recent years. The author is hypothesizing idiopathic autism is caused by feeding of infant formula. So they didn't go to vaccines, but they're saying that infant formula causes autism.
1: So infant formula is fine, but injecting the second most toxic known to man and (laughs) then add an ethyl group to it and make it a thousand times more destructive. That is not politically
0: correct. Yeah, but it's a step in the right direction. Baby steps, baby steps, right? Iatrogenic autism, there is one paper, but they're saying it's breast milk substitute, the very stuff that I uh, projectile vomited out of my body when I was a baby because I knew better yeah yeah it's incredible it's absurd, but,
1: mm. but but you're right the fact that they at least said I have to use the word wordgenic with autism, you know it's taking some form of remote albeit remote responsibility uh it is still i guess a step you could say it maybe step in the right direction, but you've got about a million steps to <laughs> go yeah there's technology.
0: there's a a lot, a lot more steps to go. A lot more steps to go. Now, in this Harvard trained immunologist, uh, rebuttal, if you will, to SB 277 in California, and by the way, if you can get out, get out now! Don't wait! Uh, but, uh, even if they don't pass SB 277, which it, it's as likely to pass as not at this point, uh, California is running out of water and a lot of other things too. So, uh, leave before it becomes impossible to leave is just my, my opinion there, and I know, some of our California listeners might not like to hear that, but that's just what I'm observing for, for many reasons. But this immunologist guy is just, he was throwing it out there on, he was naming very specific means why they're not critical for what they call herd immunity, because that's the whole argument that unvaccinated children are a danger. And he's laying out all of these vaccines and showing how they don't contribute to anything called herd immunity.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and this, this is a concept that when we, when anybody sits down, anybody with a rational thought process sits down and actually goes through it, you can see that the herd, uh, herd immunity issue is, is a non-issue. It's, it's actually completely backwards. And I think we've talked about it so many times now ad nauseum on the show, but when you sit there and you explain it to somebody and before you even finish the explanation, anybody with a reasonable intellect gets it and it's like, wait a second, the person that's been vaccinated is already protected Theoretically, so why are they worried
0: about the setting up? Well, exactly. The Ph.D. in question is Tetiana Obukhanic. Uh Ph.D., again, Harvard trained. She studied immunology in some of the world's most prestigious medical institutions, earned her Ph.D. in immunology at the Rockefeller University in New York, and did postdoc training at Harvard Medical School and Stanford, where your brother went. Wow. Pretty impressive. When we come back, more of Dr. Bittar. I want to ask about what does it mean when the whooping cough shot wears out? Welcome to the Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bell Show.
1: Making sense out of medical propaganda. Here's Robert.
0: All right, if you're new to the Robert Scott Bell Show, each and every Monday we launch the week with Dr. Rashid Batar. He is the author of the international best-selling book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. It was one of the the highlights of the prize-giving that I did on Wednesday at Hoover's. I gave a copy away, and they were thrilled to hear about you and everything that you're doing. And we got you here every week. And I've got a good question for you. I think it's a good question, Dr. Batar. The CDC is saying that the preteen whooping cough vaccine is losing strength over time. Losing strength over time. Now, I didn't gather that it was like sitting in a, uh, on a shelf and losing strength, but they're giving it to the kids and they're saying it's just not working after a while. And I want to know from you that you, what you know about this. If it's possible that you artificially stimulate an antibody and then the antibody is suddenly poof, gone. I mean, what is going on here? Either you have an antibody or you don't. What is this idea of? Does it forget? Does it have collective Alzheimer's? What's going on?
1: (laughs) Collective Alzheimer's. I like that. It's very possible true. that it could have. It's very possible that the virus and uh, the uh, antibody could have collective Alzheimer's because it is being administered with thimerosal, which is ethyl mercury, right, as a preservative. So, yeah. if we know that mercury is associated with Alzheimer's, then it's possible that the antibody is forgetting what it's supposed to be doing.
0: I mean, again, yeah, or or, these, or, or these, aluminum. I mean, in either case, uh, you know, all these metals are or linked
1: nickel to or formaldehyde or any of these things. Yeah, and you
0: know the immune system. Go ahead. I, I'm just saying that they're they're shocked by this. They're shocked. I mean, come on, the, the the idea of artificially inducing an antibody response, and that's all you need. It's it's like the holy grail of, of the immune system. We know the immune system, and the immunologist even acknowledged it before that we were talking about, and yet we're still dancing around this absurd, absurd thing. And they're desperate, dying breaths. They're just trying to force everybody to accept it, like out in California.
1: Well, let's let's make it very clear for everybody because you know sometimes you and I tend to become, in our facetious and sarcastic mode, tend to forget <laughs> that maybe some other people may not understand the the, mm-hmm. the basic tenets of what we're talking about. So let's just let's just cover this just for the sake of covering it. Okay. So sure. The reason that this is occurring is because it's not that the whooping cough is no vaccine is no longer working or these people aren't forming antibodies. It's because they never form the antibody. It never created a sufficient immune response. And in fact, if anything, how can you create a sufficient immune response when you're giving an immunosuppressive agent concomitantly with the actual substance that's supposed to elicit the immune response? And I don't believe that. i am not one of those that believe that, oh, you can't elicit a, uh, a human-induced uh, allergic response or, or an antibody response, Robert. I think that we can induce uh, sure. antibody response, but we cannot induce an antibody response, i.e., a response that's dependent upon a functioning immune system, when you're yeah. giving an uh,
0: immunosuppressive <laughs> agent. You know, it surprising. just doesn't make any sense. Oh, well, when you say it that way, of course, you know, that's I the mean, whole the point. You've laid it out it's so like trying beautifully to start a fire. It's, yeah. yeah,
1: it's like trying to start a fire underwater. <laughs> if you say that, okay, I need to start the fire so that the body creates these antibodies, so the body's ready, God forbid, if the person is actually exposed to that pathogen. So now the body doesn't need seven or ten or fifteen days to create the antibodies. Boom, it's already got it. It's got a memory, it's of response. But you're trying to do it by giving the person an immunosuppressive component with it, i.e. the preservatives and all the other crap, the nickel, the formaldehyde, especially the mercury. That's like trying to start a fire underwater. You're never going to mm. do it. And then to say, well, we don't know why this fire is not working. They're not getting an immune response.
0: But would this explain, Dr. Batar, why they are adding even more aluminum or other adjuvants that they know that irritate the immune system so devastatingly? They figure, well, since we're underwater, maybe we can throw more gasoline in there and maybe we'll get a spark or something.
1: Uh, Well, I I think that. That's part of it. Yes, I agree with that, Robert. And there's, there's a, there's a, there's so many different things that we, you know, when you start looking at this from a common sense perspective, there's so many things that are violating common sense, sequential, logical thought process that would be necessary in order for us to be able to accomplish what the goal behind vaccine is. And again, I think for everybody listening, they need to remember we're not anti vaccine. We're just pro doing it the smart way and not doing it like an idiot. <laughs>
0: Say, say it like I it mean, is, Dr. Batari. I can always count on you for I mean, being the straight this, shooter. Between
1: and just real <laughs> clearly. I mean, if I, if, if there's a smallpox, uh, chickenpox, this is somebody who has chickenpox in the community. The best way to get a vaccine is to take your child there and have a chickenpox party like they used to do in the olden days.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Common sense coming out of our ears. Now your ears too, because you're listening to the Robert Scott Bell Show, Advanced Medicine. If you miss this show, there's archives all over the planet through GCN through Natural News Radio and also Medical Rewind. Go to MedicalRewind.com. Hundreds of hours of Dr. Bittar and I just having a good old time and talking some common sense as well. We got more. What did the FDA ban next? The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never
1: seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. The information is so good, it requires no expiration date. The Robert Scott Bell Show.
0: All right, special shout-out to our friends in the United Kingdom, UK. Good luck on your elections. Uh, There's no room here in America, so if you don't like what happens, there's no room here at the end. Just saying. No, we love you. If you're from Britain, you're welcome over here. If you love liberty. Uh, Dr. Bittar with me, and we do advanced medicine each and every week. Medicalrewind.com, the easiest place to get caught up on what you've been missing for a lot of years now. In the New York Times, a big piece on the uphill battle to better regulate. Something that Dr. Batar mentioned in the last segment, formaldehyde. Formaldehyde. I thought it was the FDA. No, it was the EPA. They're saying, oh, my gosh, it's so dangerous. We can't wait. Let's regulate it because it's coming out of the floors, out of the cabinets. It's coming out of everywhere. But somehow... Dr. Batar, I don't know how they did it. They missed the bits of formaldehyde in the syringes. No mention of the vaccines.
1: Yeah. And you know, this this is why when people say that, oh, well, you may be just prone to conspiracy theory or, and I actually haven't (laughs) had anybody say that to me the last 10 years, believe it or not. That's one reason I like Liam's book where you can say official stories. I think it's a very appropriate title. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, you start thinking about these type of things, you know, mercury, uh, so, so damaging, formaldehyde, so damaging, acetone, so damaging, uh, so many different components, nickel and tin and all these components, and, and yet they are using them in industry, you know. Do you remember Time Magazine when they had the article about arsenic toxicity on the cover? Um, they had, uh, the, all the treated lumber that's used for school playgrounds. They were constructing it out of all this timber that's been treated for uh, the, the, what do they call it? The, um, I can't even remember what the treatment's called, but the treatment's basically. Well, yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it was like, to it's it like
0: co- copper arsenate. They'd use different things that they'd soak the wood in, because normally right. it would eventually be infested by termites, bugs, etc So they thought, oh, yeah, arsenic, that'll be good. The kids won't play on it and touch their, uh, every part of their eyes and their nose and then their mouth and eat rock- arsenic.
1: Yeah, it's rock proof and it's called treated lumber. I don't, I just don't know what they what exactly the, the, Term for the lumber is, but it's called treated lumber, uh, and, and, and it won't ever rot. And essentially, they talk about all the playgrounds throughout America that are constructed with a separate timber, which is a normal thing to construct. You know, if you do decking or do foundations, you always use treated wood. Well, the question was, well, what do we do with all this arsenic? They were testing the serum with arsenic. And guess what they, what's what the response was from the, from Time Magazine, what their suggestion was? The suggestion was people should require the the schools should require the children to wash their hands after they come in from the playground. That was the recommendation to prevent arsenic toxicity from children playing on treated lumber.
0: So or it's okay to play on it, touch it, rub it into the everywhere they rub things into, but as long as they wash their hands later, they're okay.
1: Yeah, that that was the, that was the gist of it. And you know, with, I don't with, know whether that's, Time Magazine said they should be doing that, or Time Magazine reported that that was what the suggestion was. But right. the point is that was what their solution was: to wash your hands, or require your children to wash their hands after they're coming from the playground.
0: Right. I mean, guess how
1: what, absurd uh, can it get?
0: Well, they're going to wash their hands with triclosan and and uh, oh, benzyl alcohol, and all the things that are going to yeah. punch holes in their in their epithelial layer, so it guarantees more absorption of arsenic and other nasties.
1: So when we talking about, so they forgot the formaldehyde in the syringes. So the question is, did they forget, or did they? Is there something higher up? Because the lower echelons of people probably don't know any different. You know, meaning the people that are in involved with the regulation of these things and and allowing it to go. But is there somebody else up there, higher up, that actually mm-hmm. know the truth and left it in on purpose, or put it in there in the first place?
0: Sure, I mean that, that's the question. When we've criticized the CDC for their, uh, you know, their hunting of viruses, the virus hunters, we've also lauded those in the basement that aren't allowed to come up to do much, the toxicologists, and it's similar with EPA. I mean, they do assess, legitimately so, toxicological exposures and their dangers. So who whitewashed this report? Was it in the report, and then in the New York Times? they whitewashed it out? Because it seems to me that uh, it's a much more brutal way to introduce it in the body than the playground via injection, by purposefully piercing the body of these children with these vaccines containing formaldehyde. Yeah,
1: yeah. And and here's too, Robert, when we start looking at the, the formaldehyde, we look at uh, some of these other components that are you know used as preservatives. That, you can even start talking about. Things like uh, things that have been promoted for years and years as preventive uh, components, like um, um, things are escaping my head now. But are you, oh, are you uh, thinking like of, dental
0: fluoride, de- for example? Oh, fluoride! Yes, yes.
1: Yeah, is the, a the perfect example of things that have been touted as being very important from a prevention standpoint. And then when you know what the truth is behind fluoride, why are these things being touted as preventive when, in fact, they have been nothing. Uh, they're actually one of the most detrimental things to our bodies. There have been nothing, the science shows that there have been nothing but detrimental to the system, and this is a real science. Um, then you start asking the question, well, if people know this stuff, then why is it being pushed and, and um, you know, encouraged promoted, for people yeah. to be using it? Yeah, why is it being promoted? Exactly, that's the question. And so then it starts to be something more than, like, misinformation. There's something more sinister and, and again, you know, some people may ask the question, well, how can you say that? Well, the truth is evident, and you start looking at the pattern. I mean, mercury is a perfect example. You know, indentation, it's outgassing at it 5 to 9 nanograms per deciliter per tooth per day. You've got it in the vaccines, and if that wasn't bad enough, now we're thinking, oh, you know what? we got to get more people sicker faster, so let's put it inside of bulbs and make all the incandescent light bulbs illegal. I mean, these nice. are the types of things that start making you think, like, wait a second, where are we going? You take things like GMOs, genetically modified substances, genetically modified organisms, and you start putting that into our food systems, and then we start passing laws to prevent people from even knowing what, what, what you've done or what you haven't done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something's going on. Something's suspicious. Something's highly suspect.
0: And Super Don thought I was going crazy today with all of this word and information. I mean, yes, the more you talk about what's happened, in this culture. And we're talking our American culture, which, you know, I, I love America, all the goodness that it 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 really at its origin point had. And many times we you know over the years we have abandoned it. And at this point we've been poisoned out of realizing what really is important here. And even the EPA this last week, Dr. Bitar acknowledged that the fluoride levels in water needed to be reduced because of the damage to the teeth of the children who were drinking it and it was causing this modeling and discoloration of their teeth. Yeah,
1: yeah, and, and you know, I'm glad you brought this up, not to change the subject about the modeling of the teeth from Florida, but I, I'm glad you brought up this thing about America and the love for our country. Mm-hmm. Um, And there's very few people that can ever challenge me for the love I have for my country, because not everybody has done what I've done for my country, I mean, obviously all soldiers have, but I will tell you this, that nobody should mistake what Robert says, or I say, or anybody else says when we talk about some of these outrageous uh, outrageous things that the government's done to mistake us that we're not patriotic American citizens that would lay our lives down for our country. It is not our country that's the problem. It's the people, the imbeciles that are running our country that are the problem. <laughs> yes. And that's something that everybody has to remember because, you know, at every point when gay P- patriots are stood up, you got to remember the real people that are heroes were always considered to be traitors.
0: Mm-hmm right? Yep, absolutely, and you know, we talk about, uh, you know, a true patriot does question his or her government. It's not patriotic to sit idly by when you know your government has done wrong. That is, that is be, uh, you know, being a lemming at that point. That is well, not if, an American if, 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 ideal.
1: Well, that's exactly right, Robert, and if people were to take that stance 200 and whatever, 240 years ago in, in 1776 or prior to that, we'd still be sipping tea and having crumpets <laughs> and we would be calling tomatoes, tomatoes, and we'd be calling aluminum, aluminium.
0: Aluminium. I know. I can't stand that. No, no. We love you, our, our British listeners. We we do love you. We tease. We tease. But the point
1: kid. is, we did no. British colony. We, we wouldn't have been independent. We wouldn't be America.
0: Right. Right. No, no, no. We're not a bunch of lemmings here. But then again, a lot of people have been chemically induced, if you will. You talk about chemical uh chemically induced castration, for instance. It's chemically induced uh into lemming so that we can no longer function, stand up for what we know is right and what we believe in. And fluoride does indeed play a role in that. The impact on the higher functioning, cognition, uh the will, the weakening of the will, these things have been established even in the the, the annals of psychiatric medicine, which is a horrific form of medicine.
1: Well, that's exactly right, Robert. And and one of the things we gotta remember is that the the best way of making sure that you can prevent yourself from having any type of uh, detrimental side effects from some of these drugs is by simply not taking the drugs in the first place. I had a patient that asked me, how can I prevent some of these side effects from occurring at me, Dr. And my (laughs) response was, uh, don't take them. It's not, you know, it's not...
0: My doctor said I had to.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, And this is this is true that a lot of people feel compelled to do something because a doctor told them, and they don't want to hurt the doctor's feelings. And I have to remind them, look, this is your body. This is a, you know, if if a, you went to a mechanic and the mechanic said, hey, that's, you know, I'm going to do this and that, do something absurd about treating you, Oh, you got a knocking sound in your engine, let me just take out, uh, turn up the radio in your car and put these headphones over your ears so you don't hear the knocking sound. What would you think about your mechanic? And they said, well, I think the mechanic's an idiot, and I wouldn't take my car there. I said, well, that's exactly what you're allowing your doctor to do, is to cover mm-hmm. up the symptom. By turning up the volume and putting earphones on you so you don't feel or see or hear the problems that you're having. And that's yeah. your body's own feedback mechanism warning you that something's wrong. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we have to remind people of that.
0: You know what I would say to the mechanic that did that to me? Tell me. You used to be a doctor, didn't you? Tell me the truth. <laughs> you used to be a doctor. I know. I could tell. This is that's what you a did. a good
1: one, Robert. That was yeah, good.
0: Yeah. So, uh you know, here we are, again, urging people to stand up to do what is right, but recognizing the difficulty, uh, the fear associated with it, because, again, you're standing against what's known as consensus. But what we've acknowledged today on the show, throughout the show, is that the consensus, based on the peer review, is an absolute sham. It's a scam, and it's a dangerous scam because it's poisoning you, it's hurting you, it's creating the very cancer that they're claiming to treat you for, for instance. And that's why it's so very important, and that, and that I think is an ideal. Maybe it's not uniquely American. Maybe it is. But for those who love liberty, it's to stand up against tyranny in all forms, and that includes medical and pharmaceutical tyranny.
1: Absolutely. And the information that's going through this peer review process that is being preached to you as gospel, you may end up paying the ultimate price of your life by following that information.
0: Yeah. Somebody might be reading the gospel after you're gone because of the drugs that you took, thinking it would save you. Again, the freedom to heal is yours. The freedom to say no to people who are pretending to heal you with pharmaceutical pseudosubstances or real toxic substances. Like the EPA recognizes the toxicity of formaldehyde, but the New York Times refuses to acknowledge it in the syringe that is being used against your child. Unless you stand in the way and say no, uh-uh, not on my watch. I'm taking my kid and going home. But if you do, will that result in a CPS medical kidnap? we got an update on that and more on Star Wars Day after this. The revolution
1: will be broadcast. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell
0: Show. The force is strong with Dr. Batar. <laughs> All right, Star Wars Day. May the fourth be with you. Although we learned that Dr. Batar is actually a Trekkie, not a Star Wars guy. But we let him on the show today anyway. And of course we still love him. So uh Dr. Bitar, thanks for putting up with us today.
1: Hey, I'm waiting for the uh, Star Trek versions to come out, you know, or even Dune or something like that. But Star you know Star Wars is just not real enough for me. You know, it wasn't real like Star Trek.
0: You and you and Freddie Mercury. Jaws was never my thing, and I don't like Star Wars.
1: <laughs> no, I mean. And I just, know, I love science fiction. So even even Star Wars, I would watch it because it's science fiction.
0: All right. Well, hey, Star Reality here, and that's healing reality, May eleventh coming up, the webinar. And Doctor Batar is in it, and I hope you will be too. If you haven't already signed up for it, Doctor Bitar, how's it looking the May eleventh coming up?
1: Well, actually, I'm glad you brought that up, because um, we only sent one email out, and we are already over-capacity registered, and what we decided we're going to do is we're going to actually pre-record it, and uh, we're going to send everybody out the information so they'll be able to uh, listen to it at their leisure. Uh, plus, I was going to be overseas at that time, and 8 o'clock would be 2 o'clock in the morning at 3 o'clock in the morning there, which you know was fine with me. So we are going to pre-record <laughs> it, and we will send out the information so everybody will know, but it won't. It probably won't be on the 11th. Night. It may end up being a couple of days later, but that's one reason we haven't sent anything out. But I will tell you this, Robert, um, yeah, off the air. We you remember I mentioned to you about the new webinar series we're going to be doing.
0: Yeah. Every couple of months. this is going to be cool because we don't always have time to answer everybody's questions when we do our, our advanced medicines, you know, the medical rewind. But, uh, there's going to be a new opportunity every couple of months. Dr. Batar will do, uh, answer your questions. Ask Dr. Batar. Do you have a separate website that you're setting up for that?
1: Uh, yes, it's actually going to be ask.drbutra.com. Uh, right now if you go there, it'll just take you to the advanced medicine seminar, uh, website, but it will be posted there as well. And we will do it. It will be a live event and we will, people will submit their questions beforehand and they'll, we'll have topics that we'll be talking about. So there's going to be autism, cancer, general mm-hmm. medicine, uh, longevity, et cetera, et cetera. And you can po- you can post your question anytime you want, but we will just do one subject at a time. And the schedule for the rest of the year, we've got five webinars planned for this year. They'll be posted now and, uh, that information will be available at advancedmedicineseminars.com. And Robert, it's basically what we did at the advanced medicine seminars, except we're just going to do a question answer type situation. And, um, we're going to basically allow the people that have questions to have their questions answered without having to, you know, wait till uh, another advanced medicine seminar, whatever the case may be. Like this thing at Fort Wayne made me realize when we had this small little seminar, and yet we had people from New York, Colorado, all different Mm -hmm. places come in, and and it was pretty incredible. makes you realize that, you know, we take certain things for granted, and there are a lot of people that want this information, and so we're taking too much of a break, Robert. We need to be working (laughs) harder.
0: Oh, my gosh. We're happy to deliver the information we get to do each and every week, and those of you who are new, literally hundreds of hours available of uh, Medical Rewind, medicalrewind.com. Of course, uh, UK Health Radio, rebroadcast re- and archives, as well as our syndicator in naturalnewsradio.com, GCN, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, our good friend Jerry Doyle, Epic Times as well. And we've got new updates happening there all of the time. Uh, real quick, uh, just just in case, uh, you know, Dr. Tarr is not big in the Star Wars, but maybe this 3-year-old could help him expl- understand how it's really, really totally cool. 3-year-old explains A New Hope, Episode 4. Okay. <laughs> The sound people capture robots and drive and sell them. is garage sale, kind of like garage sale, but except they're selling robots. So it's it's a garage sale in outer space. I mean, what what's not to like?
1: It's really hard to tell what what the child was saying, but can you summarize what
0: they, what, they, what he said? Basically, a she said it's a, it's a garage sale in outer space, except they're selling robots. I mean, come on, who wouldn't love a movie about that's that? pretty accurate, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's one of the scenes, <laughs> of course. That's how they got C-3PO and R2-D2, and now I don't know who the rolling one is coming up in the next one. Again, I just hope it's as mythic as that. That's what the great thing is that it was rooted in the myths, the great myths that really – uh, you know, they, they, they're found in all the major religions. If you go back into the history, the mythic I- elements and the ideals of, you know, overcoming the obstacles and, and purification, all of those things. That's what it captured. That's why it was such a cool thing originally. Yeah, that's true. That is very true. All right. Well, the man, the myth, the legend, Dr. Batar, he's here every week. RobertScabell.com, medicalrewind.com. We have all the links. We're going to add as well AskDrBatar.com into the mix as well as we're wrapping up the show today. I appreciate you so very much. Safe journeys to everybody, especially you, Dr. Batar. I know you'll be traveling all over the world as we're wrapping up here.
1: Well, Robert, I look forward to doing our next show possibly live from uh, the Middle East.
0: All right. Well, in the meantime, all I've left to do is remind each and every one of you that the power to heal is
1: yours.